Today is the third Sunday after the Feast of Pentecost. We are now in the longest period of the church's liturgical year, the season of Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, referring back to that birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit came. So when we're in the season of Pentecost, we're in the spirit of we're we're in the, the time of the Holy Spirit, in which we are inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to do what the Holy Spirit does best, and that is to open our hearts and our minds that we will hear the teachings of Jesus Christ and be able to have the strength to follow them. This son this year we're going to have twenty three weeks of Pentecost. And that means that uh, for these 23 weeks, we're going to be instructed in detail about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it applies to our lives here and now and asking the Holy Spirit to come to us and help us to understand what Jesus has laid out for us in his saving gospel and to have the courage to follow those and like Paul was talking to the people in uh, in Rome not to be ambivalent with the faith uh, and to and to yo-yo back and forth between uh, belief and disbelief but to try to grow in in that faith and that's what we open ourselves up to in Pentecost to allow the Holy Spirit uh, to come and to come and to be with us because Jesus has given us a gospel uh, that is giving us the assurance uh, of salvation. And we have to be able to understand that gospel uh, and apply it to him. And Jesus doesn't mince words when he talks about the gospel and what that commitment means to us, unlike the, the, the world in which we live in right now. We live in a Madison Avenue-type world in which millions of dollars have been spent to try to attract you to, uh, to, uh, to send a message out to you that will grab your attention right away and then after they have your attention to put that little hook in there uh, to tell you the, the downside uh, of the things that they're trying to, uh, uh, to sell you and the things that they want you to, uh, to put your confidence uh, and faith in. Um, all of us at one time or another have received those unsolicited uh, little premiums that come in the mail that tell us that we have won a valuable prize. Uh, three days and two nights uh, in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Uh, absolutely free. And then after we get through the, the big picture and all of the big red letters that are there telling us about this wonderful thing, uh, then there's the disclaimer down at the bottom. It says, uh, you've got to supply your own transportation to get here. Uh, and once you get here, you've got to submit to a two-hour presentation on two different timeshares uh, that we want to try to sell to you. Uh, and that fine print and that little hook in there shows you that uh, it's uh, not such a big deal after all. And all of you, I'm sure, have seen what the automotive industry is running on television these days, uh, trying to sell the new cars to you. They are offering everybody absolutely um, uh, zero percentage rate and no payments until January of 2013. All of us should be driving brand new cars now. 
uh, with, a, with a deal like that uh, until we listen to the uh, uh, lower volume and fast-paced voice that follows after that uh, that give us the conditions. $5,000 down payment uh, and uh, uh, having to pass a, a credit check uh, and uh, not applicable uh, to all uh, the cars but just to a select number uh, and uh, also not available in all places. All of those conditions that come that take away the first message. Caveat emptor is the Latin phrase that the Better Business Bureau uses for its uh, motto. Caveat I'm in jail because I thought you were the Messiah, and you're not really doing much that I can see. So really, are you the Messiah? That was John's response. Are you the Messiah? And so Jesus is, you know, how can we explain that? This is good news. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is back. The Messiah is back. I'm here to save you. And the response is mixed at best. Hostile at worst. And so these parables will explain to us the different ways that people respond and why they respond in different ways. And so, we'll jump right in. This morning we have the parable of the sower. I think it will be helpful to us adults, but also to us, to the children. To, um, we're going to see a little video that will illustrate it for us.
We've got this parable of the sower, and the reason this is important is because what we've just seen and what we've read from the gospel tells us how we will respond to faith. And so we have, as you saw, the first seed, and um, Jesus, thankfully, tells us exactly what this means. If you saw it, that seed was sitting on the path, and he tried to go down, and he couldn't, and then the bird came and ate him. And Jesus says here in chapter 13, Um, Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And so sometimes the gospel is simply not able to take root. Sometimes it falls on a hardened heart, a stony heart, and it can't put out its roots. And the next thing you know, Satan is there and snatching it away before it can even get going. Some folks will hear this gospel. They may think about it a little bit, and they'll leave, and then never think of it again, and Satan has snatched it from them. They'll hear the message, but will not respond. Then there's seed number two. The seed falls on the rocky ground, and he puts in roots, but he can't quite get up. He dies in the wilting sun. And Jesus says about this seed, verse 20, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So we receive the word of God. We're excited, we're growing, and then the first sign of trouble, the first persecution, the first, perhaps it's a death in the family, something hits us, and the word is gone, just like that. Because there's no depth of root. It hasn't taken root in our hearts in a way that can sustain this. You've seen these plants. They grow on your back steps or in your driveway. I've got them all over, and they start growing, and they're looking good, and you're like, where did that thing come from? But then you get a hot day or a few weeks or months as we've had with no rain and they just die because they have no depth of their faith. They have no depth in their roots. The gospel hasn't sprung up in our hearts. Or we have seed number three, falling among the thorns, trying to grow, perhaps even living, but not producing any fruit. There's not enough sun. There's not enough water. The garden hasn't been cultivated And the seed, the plant might grow, but that's about it. What does Jesus tell us about this one? As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I think this is a really interesting seed. 
to think about the gospel growing in our hearts, our faithfulness, our week in and week out attendance at church, yet no fruit because the cares and the concerns and the worries of this world, whether it's consumerism, whether it's our job, whether it's even maybe our families, they block out our faith. And so it might be there, but it's small and it's shaded and there's no fruit. No one can see it. No one can see that seed up there crowded out by the thorns. Finally, seed number four. Seed number four falls in good soil. And what happens? He produces fruit. Jesus explains, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, who understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What is the deal? How does that work? What is the key to this this passage here? Well, he hears the word and he understands it. Every single seed, every single illustration heard the word of God. This is the only one that understands it. And when I think of understands, um, I think of the, the illustration used in Alpha. I've heard Nikki Gumbel say it. I've heard Foster Smith say it. And there's this idea of my wife, and I could have a book about my wife and figure out how great she was and read it, and I'd see that she's beautiful and smart and loving and graceful, and I could say, yeah, I understand her, but do I really? Can I really understand her until I've been in a relationship with her, until I've loved her, until I've experienced all the things that the book can only talk about? That's what it's like to understand the Word of God. To have a life where the clutter's been removed, where the roots have grown deep, where Satan is powerless against you because of Jesus Christ. You understand the gospel. And when we understand the gospel, it bears fruit in our lives. Our soil is clear and our plants rise and there's fruit. That's because the consequences of the gospel it's transformation. It's a new life in Jesus Christ that people cannot help but see. They can't help but notice. The gospel changes our lives. And we bear fruit. So where, do we, where does that leave us here this morning? I'm going to take a quick detour, so bear with me. A friend of ours once told Lanier that we live in a society of specialists. There's a specialist for everything some of us have maybe life coaches. Some of us have financial planners. Some of us have, well, probably all of us, we have 10 different types of insurance, and they all cover one hurricane. There's flood and fire and wind and hail and whatever else. Specialists for everything. Imagine the last time you called customer service for your phone. You probably had to talk to four or five different people to get what you wanted because they all did something special. Somebody sold you the phone, somebody sold you the plan, somebody took your information down so you could access it on the internet, and then you had to call them back because they didn't get it right the first time, and you had to talk to the specialist who specializes in uh, fixing things. There's specialists for everything, even sometimes, even in the church. Sometimes we have a pastor in the church for every age demographic. We have the older folks pastor, the younger folks pastor, the youth pastor. Sometimes we have a program 
for everything. Programs for divorcees. Programs for families. Programs for spam. The, uh, the, 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 the St. Paul's Young Adults. And these are good things. I'm not, here, I'm not here to bash these things. These are good. These are gospel. These are glorifying God. But there's, I'm just saying there's specialists. We live in a specialist society. And the problem comes to be when it skews our perspective. And so we hear the word evangelize. And we think, well, certainly there's somebody who can do it better than I can. Maybe some professional or mission. Well, I, I'm happy to support mission. I'll support somebody else who's been trained in that area. Or faith at home. I need a professional to help me with that, to help teach my children. And many of you might think that's me, but I'm here to tell you, if you come to my house, you'll know that I am no professional in teaching my children. I'm just working through it, just like y'all are. And so that, I hope that brings us back to our parable this morning because we can read this parable and we can look for a specialist. Well, this is good. I believe it. I need to go find the seed. I need to find somebody who specializes in the seed or somebody who specializes in sowing it or somebody who specializes in tilling the garden. And I'm here to tell you, I know one specialist. And that is Jesus Christ. And so we say, I need to go... Get the seed, and friend, I tell you today that Jesus Christ is the seed. That Jesus Christ is here this morning. He wants to take root in your heart. It's the Jesus Christ of this Bible. It's the Jesus Christ of this worship. It's the Jesus Christ of this community. We read the parable, I've got to sow the seed. And I tell you, Jesus Christ sows the seed. There was a missionary in Africa and he was there for a while. He was, he was staying at his station and letting the tribes come to him and he was pretty unfruitful in his work, and he said, you know what, I'm leaving, I'm going out. And he goes out, and he is deep, deep, deep in the bush of Africa. He's seen amazing things, and he comes to this particular tribe, and he preaches the gospel. And the leaders of the tribe confer, they make a decision for the entire community, and the chief comes to him, and he says, thank you for coming, thank you for your words, we don't care to accept them at this time. And this missionary, he didn't know what to do. He was thinking, surely you want it. Let me say it again. I can say it better. Surely there's some people who want this. You know, it's going to be a long time before anybody ever comes back here again. But that's not what he does. He knows that Jesus sows the seed, and Jesus had not sown this one. And so he prays for them, and he leaves, and he moves on. And it's that kind of total dependence we want so much for our friends and our neighbors and our children to receive the word of God, but all we can do is proclaim it, and Jesus will sow it. Jesus will sow the seed. Perhaps, maybe, we need someone to till the garden. Maybe we can do that. We maybe can find somebody to do it. Maybe we can do it. We can get the soil ready. We can get, out the, get the thorns out of here, the weeds, put in fertilizer. We can't do that either. Jesus Christ prepares the garden. Jesus Christ went to the cross so he can nail our thorns to the cross, so he can nail our weeds, our sin, and our shame, and our fear, and our doubt. Jesus has cleared that garden. He's cleared it on the cross. And so I know what I'm thinking, perhaps what many of y'all are thinking. Well, what do we do? What do I do about this? I've got to do something. Jesus Christ is going to do it. 
if, 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 if I've been kind of hung up on this lately, but if you just know one thing, just one thing, just know Jesus Christ. Know that he loves you. Remind yourself over and over. Read God's word and say, look at the glorious things that God has done for us. And that's where faith at home comes in. If we just know Jesus to our children, if we just know Jesus to our neighbors, if that's just evident in how we live, you know, maybe it's just reading our Bible at home and, and our kids walk in and say, hey, what you reading? Oh, I'm reading my Bible. You want to hear about Job? That's faith at home. Maybe your neighbor catches you doing that. Maybe your neighbor catches you praying or sees you all dressed up, leaving for church. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to church. Would you like to come? That's faith at home. There's no specialist other than Jesus Christ. And so in all of this, to wind it up, I'm reminded of our, our Old Testament reading from Joshua. And I, I'd, love, I'd love to do a sermon on this one at some point, but just to, to, to fill it in, there was lots of history in that lesson, history from the Egyptians, um, from, from the Exodus, from wandering in the wilderness, from all these Joabites and Shamoahites and ites this and ites that, all this history. And the reason Joshua is presenting them with this history is so they remember who God is. And so if we remember and talk about and share what God has done in our lives, what God has done in the lives of our ancestors, Israel, what God has done in the lives of the disciples. That's faith at home. And so when we remember these things, we realize that we have a decision to make. And Joshua powerfully, he says to the people, serve the Lord, your God. If that doesn't suit you, serve some other God. But you need to choose. And you need to choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are the seed. You are the sower. You are the gardener. Lord, till our hearts plant the seed of your gospel so that we would know you and love you and glorify you. That we would pass it along to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and to anybody who day in and day out comes in our life. We ask all these things in your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.